Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to a very special episode of Metaphysical Milkshake. I know we've been gone for a while. I know you've been missing us. Uh, I've been uh, traveling around the world. Everywhere I go, people talk about how they miss the podcast. And, you know, as you know, we took a little break to kind of relax a little bit. But suddenly I was given this incredible opportunity. Uh, uh, Someone reached out to me, giving me the chance to interview uh, the creator, should we say prophet, uh, messianic figure, I'm not exactly sure yet, of a, of a brand new religion, uh, this religion that is called, I want to say, Soul Boom? Anyway, uh, you know, as those of you who know me know that I, I've written a lot about uh, religions in the past. I've, I've written about Jesus and Muhammad and Moses and, you know, some of the greatest uh, religious thinkers, creators uh, of religions. But <sighs> rarely do I get the opportunity to actually interview someone who has just founded his new religion. And I think we're going to be able to get him on. I, I believe he's, he's in an ashram under a Bodhi tree somewhere in the middle of a, of a South uh, Asian jungle. Sir, are you there? Sir, are you there? Oh, Rain? Hey, Reza. What, what, are, you, what are you doing, man? Yeah, I'm not, uh, I'm not under a Bodhi tree and I'm not in uh, Southeast Asia. Wait. Wh- I'm in uh, suburban Los Angeles. This is you? You're the, you're the creator slash prophet slash messianic figure that I've been so excited to talk to? I'm, I'm so, you didn't know that? No one told you? No, I, I don't. I don't really read my emails. I just kind of skim the subject line and it said something about soul boom. What, what, so what, that's a book or something? I know three words in Hebrew. <laughs> Anika Messiah. <laughs> I am the Messiah. got to be careful with that phrase. Uh, especially especially in certain parts of Los Angeles. Rain Wilson, so let me get this straight. You're you're starting your own religion. Am I am I getting that right here? Oh, look at that soul boom. Yeah, <laughs> I, I I am Reza. So here's the deal, folks. Here's the deal. Thank you for that scintillating introduction, Reza. That was that was great. <laughs> you know, I've been practicing my acting skills while we've been on hiatus. I, 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 clearly, you quit uh, you quit social media <laughs> and you've uh, you've been honing your acting skills. It was some great <laughs> improv you. there. Thank you very much. Thank you. Welcome to Metaphysical Milkshake, the show where we go deep, we get weird, and we search for the meaning of life along the way. So my new book is just coming out, Soul Boom, as you know. That's what we're here to talk about, folks. That's right. Sorry for the long hiatus from Metaphysical Milkshake. But I think what you're talking about, I think what you're referring to is the chapter called, Hey Kids, Let's Build a New Religion, in which I start the Soul Boom, The Religion. Shall we get right down to it? Listen, listen. Uh, First of all, as someone who's known you for a long time, I can't believe that it's taken you this long to become a cult leader, number one. Right. I've, se- I've seen the way people right. respond to you. Uh, number two, I've actually read this book, and I thoroughly enjoyed it, my friend. Thank you. It's a, 
very funny, very personal, uh, deep meditation on the the spiritual crisis, uh, the rot at the center of the the human condition, of humanity, and and <laughs> yep. remarkably, you've got an answer for all of it. So let's start. Let's start with the same question, if you don't mind, uh, with which you start the book, which is this. Why the hell is the actor who played Dwight on The Office writing a book on spirituality? Well, excellent question. One that I pose myself, as you mentioned. There's a number of different reasons, Reza. I mean, for those uh, metaphysical milkshake listeners out there who might be uh, familiar with my life story, I grew up as a member of the Baha'i faith and one of the tenets of the Baha'i faith. And Reza, it's tenet, not tenants. It is? People mispronounce the word tenet all the time. It drives me batshit crazy. Tenants are what live in an apartment building. <laughs> tenets with no N, well, no second N, are, are uh, uh, belief values, are, 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 are central beliefs. Well, tell me all about the people living in the apartment complex of Baha'ism. So the, one of the central tenants in my apartment building is a Baha'i. And their central tenet is, no, Baha'is believe in all the world's That's religions. Right. So we believe in the essential divinity. It's called a universalist religion. That's the, the yeah, A universalist kind of take on uh, that the Buddha, that Krishna, Abraham, Moses, Jesus, Zoroaster, to go way, way back, all of these are from the same God. Mm -hmm. They are from the same divine source. And so as Baha'is, we read the Bible and the Quran, and we read the Bhagavad Gita and the Dhammapadas of the Buddha, and we study all of these holy religions. So one message, many messengers. Uh, exactly. One, and uh, as, uh, so as a Baha'i, I'm very interest growing up a Baha'i, we had all of these books on our shelves. We had Egyptian mysticism and and Sufi books and Sikh books and all kinds of like autobiography of a of a yogi on the on the shelf. And um these kind of light probing life's big questions were a big part of growing up in a Baha'i household. So this is a continuing conversation that I've been having. It started with my family and then went to my faith community and then my friends and then with you mm -hmm. on this podcast with my friends over at Soul Pancake and onwards and onwards. And now on the pages of Soul Boom, which is, you know, how do we use spirituality? How does spirituality affect our lives? Can we put it, can we put these central tenets, these, this wisdom, uh, this faith wisdom from eons uh, of spiritual teachers, can we put it into practice to make our personal lives better? But also, Reza, can we put it into practice to make society better? So that's part one. That's part one. Let me go to part two. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Part two is I was really fucked up in my 20s. You read a lot about that, yeah. <laughs> so I was unhappy. I suffered from mental health issues. I had crippling anxiety attacks. I had depression. I had addiction issues, loneliness and alienation, chronic dissatisfaction. And as I was kind of like hitting bottom for, I didn't really like literally hit bottom with drugs and alcohol or anything like that, but, but metaphorically hitting bottom, I really went on a quest to find, um, God and find the truth and, you know, 
try and decide is there, you know, perhaps I threw the spiritual baby out with the religious bathwater when I rejected the Baha'i faith and anything and everything to do with religion in my 20s. And maybe there are some, some answers to be found there. And that's what kind of rebooted my journey. Um, and I've spoken about that story before. But you put those things together and then it's COVID. And then all of a sudden I know I'm going to be unemployed for many, many months, <laughs> maybe many years, which I was. And I had the opportunity to finally kind of write a book that was kind of a, as I write in the book, it's a throwing a bunch of spiritual spaghetti at the wall and seeing what sticks. And that's what I did. Yeah, it's a it's a memoir. It's a it's a manifesto. It's a history lesson. There's a lot. There's a lot of really wonderful stuff in here. But I feel like before we de delve too deeply into it, let's let's make sure everybody's on the same page because this term spirituality. I mean, everybody. Th I throw it around. You throw it around. You talk about you want to uh, launch a spiritual revolution. So maybe we should start really at the beginning and and just find out what is it exactly do you mean when you use the word spiritual or spirituality like what are you talking about rain well i think i'm really glad that we're defining our terms because uh, there's a lot of terms like this there's you know god is yeah. something that people talk about and are can be completely on different pages about um the soul um you know the list goes on and on but spirituality is an important one cuz to a lot of people it means seances and ghosts to right. some people you know it is a it is a feeling that you get in your chest when you're at a yoga class or meditating or have a certain incense or crystals going not that there's anything wrong with any of those things um to some folks it's church on sunday that spirituality is is you know what happens when you go to your to your church or your mosque or your synagogue um for me we are um, integrated, however, uh, dualistic forms. So we have a body and a spirit, and they're not kind of separate like salt and pepper shakers. They're integrated. We are having a spiritual experience inside of a human body. But that spiritual experience is, is what I'm talking about. Anything that is non, the non-material part of ourselves. So what is that? It's our divine virtues. It's our kindness, our love, our compassion, our honesty our humility. It's um, that part of ourselves that when our physical body fades away, that continues on whatever that glorious journey uh, into the infinite looks like. That's what it means to be spiritual. And it is anything of and concerning the divine. Um, and it gets, it gets tricky because when you start talking about this, it starts to sound really dualistic. It's like mind, body, you know, body, soul. It's all it's all one reality. They are just different facets of the same reality. And I think that's it's important to note that as well. And of course, your spiritual journey as <clears throat> you know, your fans and and longtime listeners of Metaphysical Milkshake know, uh, did not begin with a deep dive into the Bible or uh the Quran, but rather uh two television shows, right? Kung Fu. And Star Trek, like that's that's, that's where right. the foundation of your spiritual journey uh, began. Uh, you've talked a lot about this before, but why don't you just tell us a little bit about what was it about those two shows that like launched you on this path towards uh, a, 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 like a spiritual uh, knowledge, spiritual thirst? 
we've talked about Star Trek a yeah, lot oh, on the yeah. show. Oh, yeah. I know you're a you're a diehard you Trekkie, Trekker. Trekker, Trekkie, what do you prefer again? Well, I don't want to get into semantics. <laughs> it's Trekker. <laughs> Let's define our terms. Whatever, Trekkie, whatever. You're a Trekker. You know. Okay. And look, Will, um, Wheaton, Will Wheaton told us you don't have to be a zealot about it. Just you can love Star Trek and just leave it at that. So. Did you just name drop the title oh, of your book? I happen book? to have written a book by that name. Isn't that weird? Trekker? No, no, no. Get back to your, <laughs> get back to your answer. Okay, I'm getting back to my story. Listen, I think it's very important in, term, in defining terms, again, to understand that the way that I see it, there are two spiritual paths, and I'll come back to this later on. There is the personal uh, spiritual path that is internal, transformational. It's about one's relationship with one's higher power, becoming a better person, walking your life, seeking tranquility and peace and understanding and meaning in your personal life. So that's one path. There is another spiritual path that we don't talk about quite as much. But when you pull back and look at the full kaleidoscope of history, you see that this also exists. And that is the spiritual maturation of the human race and its inevitable growth and transcendence. And these two television shows, my two favorite television shows of the 70s, Star Trek and Kung Fu, are kind of revelatory of these two paths. So Kung Fu, for those who don't know, Kwai Chang Kane grew up in a Shaolin monastery in the 1800s. He gets kicked out of the monastery. He goes to the Old West to look for his brother. He's wandering around the Old West, the wild, wild West, with a bunch of racist cowboys. And he fights Kung Fu, but he's also a Taoist. He's also part Buddhist. He has a, a deep reservoir of Eastern wisdom that he's learned. And he's coming into contact with all these angry, racist, upset people who are struggling and materialistic and trying to eke out a living in the Old West. And he brings his peace and his calm and his wisdom and his ass kicking skills um, on his journey. And so I talk about that as part one. This is our personal spiritual journey. We are all Kwai Chen Kane. We are all have our wisdom. We all have our ass kicking skills. We're going down the path of the road, um, seeking to become better people, to share our wisdom, to serve others, and to seek tranquility and serenity in our lives. In fact, uh, if I could just interrupt, there's this really, really fun part of the book where you do this thing where uh, you uh, have this quiz. And the quiz is, uh, is this quote uh, from some great, you know, religious scripture? Or is it from Kung Fu, the series? <laughs> and uh, I gotta say, I got about half of those wrong. I'm gonna try and I'm gonna try and stump you right now. Okay. Is this Kung Fu? Or famous religious quote. Right. Carpenters bend wood, the wise master themselves. It's got to be Kung Fu. It's got to be Kung Fu. That's the Buddha. Damn it. All right, one more. Humanity is but a single brotherhood, so make peace with your brethren. Mm, that sounds like something Baha'u'llah would have said. Muhammad. Oh! Oh, my people, um, my people are right. rolling right now. They're just like, oh, Reza. How about this? A tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. I feel like just to be on the safe side, I'm going to say Kung Fu. The Bible. Damn it! 
I'm telling you guys, this is a tough, this is a tough little Learn quiz. more ways to preserve than to destroy. Okay, I'm just going to say kung fu because I, I I have to. It is kung point. fu. It's I had to put yeah, in one right, kung exactly. fu, but it's it's hard to yeah. No, it is, but it's, it's hard deep. To, That's it, deep. Listen for a you know what like a spaghetti western starring David Carradine as a Chinese man. Uh, th- there was some deep deep stuff in that show. Absolutely, absolutely. So tell me, okay, then how, then where does Star Trek fit in all this? So Star Trek, of course. At first blush, it's all about science and technology, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, humanity's kind of going, boldly going where no man has gone before in outer space, seeking out new life and new civilizations, etc. But the mythology of Star Trek is back on planet Earth, there has been a devastating war. Out of the ashes of that war, humanity has finally united. And pooling their resources and their technological advances Humanity has solved racism. Humanity has solved income inequality and sexism and militarism come together in one world government. So anytime you hear people saying, ah, one world government, you know, as like a conspiracy, you just say, Star Trek, it's kind of better, right? (laughs) One world government, kind of cool. Federation Mm kind of works. So this is to me about humanity's spiritual progress. There are these, and I have a chapter called A Plethora of Pandemics, where I list the dozens of pandemics that are afflicting humanity, from racism to militarism to income inequality, the ones I've mentioned, including climate change, uh, the mental health epidemic for young people. Materialism. These, yes, these uh, these pandemics, Certainly, we need uh, legislation to help solve them, but underlying them, underpinning these, are they are they are based in a spiritual disease, and uh, spiritual wisdom and growth can be achieved and can be worked for um, by us people on planet Earth um, seeking to make our world a little bit more like Star Trek. Yeah. There is a, a third pillar, if I may say so, uh, to Please. your kind of spiritual uh, edifice, if you will, uh, besides Kung Fu okay. and Star Trek, and it's your dad. You know, your dad, uh, who was Baha'i, who who raised you uh, in the Baha'i faith, um, who, you know, had his own issues and problems. You've been very open about that. You write openly about it in the book. And the two of you, you know, grew apart and came back together again. There's this sort of really wonderful, probably my favorite story in the book is the story um, that happens after your dad's uh, death, where, um, you know, you have to, according to the Baha'i faith and, and the rituals involved there, you have to wash the body and you realize you don't have <laughs> a vessel <laughs> to wash uh, your father's body. So there you are like running around a target <laughs> um, trying to uh, get a, a bowl that's nice enough that you could use to wash your, your father's dead body, which is lying in a, in a, a basement a few miles away. Um, can you talk a little bit about the role that your father played in giving you this kind of thirst for spiritual edification. So besides, you know, I dedicated the book to my father. I said, thank you for teaching me about the soul because he really was a great spiritual teacher for me. 
Um, and I was thinking about writing this book and, and was generating some ideas for it when COVID hit. And then devastatingly, about six months into COVID, my dad died. He had a, uh, he died during open heart surgery as his heart disease was just too uh, pervasive. And it was, it was brutal and devastating and heartbreaking. I've spoken about it before on the show. Um, but I had um, a spiritual awakening. I had, a, as Oprah would say, an aha moment when he was lying on the bed at the hospital and we had unplugged him and his body was just freshly dead. And that was that, you know, I saw all the things of my father's body. I saw his his eyebrows with a little tuft of eyebrow hair. I saw the mole on his cheek. I saw the hair on his arms and the way his hands looked. And and I had an a overwhelming sensation. This is not my father. This is the vessel that carried my father. It couldn't have been more clear to me. There was no light. There was no life. There was just this flesh. And the essence of Robert Wilson-ishness was just, had moved on, had gone on. Um, so this experience was, you know, tragic and yet also inspiring because I find death to be a really uh, important topic and one that uh, we are terrified to engage with in Western society right now. We People are, oh, death is depressing. Let's not look at it. But there's a lot to learn from death. It, it, is, the, it is the great perspective giver um, and the great kind of bookend. And uh, this idea that we are spiritual beings and we're moving on uh, through infinite worlds of the divine and one way stop along the way is wearing these meat suits, these flesh tuxedos for 80 or 90 years. That became very clear. And that was a great motivator for me to write the book as well. Yeah. yeah. All right. So let's get to it. Um, <laughs> you know, you mentioned already that yeah, there is like a, a kind of spiritual pandemic. We've, we've had so many episodes on this show talking about you know, all the different crises that are inundating humanity right now, and particularly um, younger people, millennials, Gen Z, mental health issues, um, obviously, like this epi epidemic of loneliness that we, we've talked about. Um, uh, we've certainly talked about, you know, climate change. We've talked about political instability. Um you know, there's a there's a lot that this younger generation is going through um, that has created this kind of existential dilemma within this generation. And you argue in this book that the answer might be a kind of spiritual revolution, a renewal of of the spirit. But more specifically, I mean, you could have just ended it there and it would have been like a nice flu-flu book and people would have said, oh, that's so sweet. And they would have bought it and and they would have had you sign it and then you would have moved on. Hopefully they'll still buy it and have me sign it. But yeah. They'll still buy it and, and have you sign it. But then you you take this one other step in this book, which you talked about at the top of the show, where you're like, all right, fuck it. Let's make our own religion. Uh, first of all, what? 
I mean, is that, I don't, is that even a thing? Like, can, are actors allowed to make religions? Is that a, is that a thing, first of all? <laughs> and then, you know, I mean, by definition, aren't all religions kind of by definition, there's some good, there's some bad, you know, like put another one into the mix. I, I mean, what is, what is the incentive to just say, we need a brand new religion? Yeah. So I got, I got three chapters on religion in this book. Mm -hmm. Religion is not such a popular topic, as you know, Reza. Yeah, not, it does not make people happy. No. I have three chapters on religion because I think it's really important to look at religion through a slightly different lens. Mm. We have such a knee-jerk reaction against it, right? Generally oh, yeah. in contemporary society. Yeah, religion is the cause of all evil in the world. If there were no religion, we would all be happy and prosperous and peaceful. And I take us through uh, a number of different aspects of religion because I do think that we have lost something as a society, as a culture, by jettisoning religion. And don't get me started. I know the ills caused by religion. I know the wars caused. I know uh, the scandal in the Catholic Church. I know about suicide bombers flying into skyscrapers. Believe me, I, I understand all that. I mean, conversely, one could point to all the atrocities committed by man by, you know, supposedly atheist or secular uh, cultures. But putting that aside, what does religion give you? Why have there been religions? I mean, people, you know, Reza and I see things a little bit differently. For me, I see someone like the Buddha or someone like Jesus or Muhammad as specially anointed divine teachers. They're not just a regular guy. They're not like Martin Luther King or the Dalai Lama or, you know, Desmond Tutu. They're, they're, they're exceptional human beings that have been touched by a very special divine spark to give a revelation of teachings. And there are some universals in these teachings that we've kind of thrown away that are worth taking a look at, right? Deep compassion, service to the poor, transcendence, the idea of life after death, a greater meaning and purpose to life, um, seeking and building community, especially at the grassroots. These are some of the elements of all religions that humanity is scrambling for. It's no surprise to me that this mental health epidemic has kind of exasperated, it elevated, and accelerated uh, during the decades that people have been leaving uh, the church. And when, when you do happiness studies and you, and you do, and you look at the hard data, people that are involved in religions are happier. They're more successful. Um, they have greater resilience. They live longer and they're just happier. That's sorry, all you secular folk. It's just true. Just look at the data. And I'm not suggesting everyone should go become a, a Baptist. <laughs> you know, that's not what I'm talking about. So and I'm not suggesting anyone become a member of any religion. The The point is, is just to kind of mix things up and, you know, probe some deep, you know, human questions. And so I wanted to start my own religion. I thought, what would that be like? What, would, what if we had soul boom the religion? And besides those universals that uh, I, I spoke of, um, you know, what other aspects could be a part of um the soul boom religion. Let's take the best bits from the existing religions and put them in a cauldron and come up with something new. So 
I say no clerics, right? Mm-hmm. We don't need clerics anymore. We don't need priests or mullahs or gurus anymore. Not like Quakers. That you get, get that the Quakers don't. Yeah, like that. Quakers. Love the Quakers. Yeah. Um, diversity plus harmony. So the idea that diversity is a good thing, not a bad thing. Something to be cherished. Something to be relished. Uh, centrality of the divine feminine. Ooh. Used to be in many religious traditions, especially in indigenous religions, we've kind of lost that, mm-hmm. and we need to bring that back. Um, the cooperation and essential harmony between science and religion, they're not at odds, like many people would have you believe. A profound connection to the natural world, a life of service, the centrality of justice can be front and center in this religious movement. It goes on and on, but that was the idea. Um, and no listener and no Reza, I am not the leader of Soul Boom, the religion. It's purely hypothetical, but we don't have a clergy, but you know, we could use a leader. We could use someone with um, a great deal of knowledge about the world's religions. We could use someone uh, renowned for their uh, esoteric knowledge. We could use someone brown. Brown? I, I think I may know someone. Rami Malik. Or me, me. Yes. I will. Listen, in all seriousness, I will gladly be your God. Oh, wow. <laughs> okay. That's, uh, you went a little too far too fast. No, but... listen, lest, lest our, our listeners uh, think that this is just some, you know, scheme for you to not pay taxes anymore. You take this very seriously. Like you, you've actually laid this out in very clear terms. You talk about the 10 fundamentals of this religion. You've mentioned them, belief in a higher power and look at whatever you, you call it God, you call it, you know, thingy, whatever you want to call it. God's just a word. We've talked about this. Many Maya, times. the great spirit, the great spirit, yep. whatever. Uh, belief in life after death. That's vital to your, to your new uh, soul boom religion that, you know, what we are sure. is eternal. You've talked about that. That's, that's pretty big. The power of prayer. Now, that's interesting. Like, t- talk about that aspect of it. You know, what is, how does prayer work in, in the soul boom religion? Like, are you, are you, is it like, you know, are you on your, are you saying, you know, like, dear God, help me get the job? That's an option. You could say, dear God, help me get this parking spot, uh, find a parking space in downtown Manhattan. Um, that's certain. That's certainly a possibility. God can't do everything, but yeah, well, <laughs> that, that that might be pushing the limits. Um, is there a rock so big that even God cannot find a parking space in downtown Manhattan? Um, the I've talked about this before, but I find it so interesting that in the evangelical parts of red state America, uh, there's a whole lot of praying going on. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's a lot of personal prayer. Jesus, my Aunt Connie's sick. Can you heal her foot? She's got a hangnail. You know, it goes like that. Jesus let Alabama win this game. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Roll tide, Jesus. Um, and then you've got secular LA blue state America where there's zero praying and there's a whole lot of meditation right. going on. That's how we like it. And it's to do like, it. I'm mindful. I've got my meditation bench. I've got my practice and my app, my mindfulness apps. And, um, and it's part of my yoga practice. So you've got one half of the country 
talking and one half the country listening. But I think it's really important that we do both. Mm. And that I do believe that, so for lack of a better word, we're just going to use the word God. And I do have a chapter in the book called The Notorious yeah, G.O.D. Right. But the that this all-powerful uh, creative uh, force that um, is in in and among us and inside of us and outside of us and beyond time and space is uh, unknowable and all-powerful that we can be in a dialogue with this force, that we can ask for help. Um, Annie Lamott has a great book called Help, Thanks, Wow. And she describes the three types of prayers. There's help, you know, help me out. Thanks. Oh, this is so wonderful. Thank you, God. And wow, which is, oh my gosh, this is just so beautiful. I can't stand it. So we can help thank wow uh, ourselves into prayer. And we can also, and it's crucial that we also meditate, which is listening, which is stillness. Meditation can be very helpful in kind of rebooting the mind and bringing kind of a quietude and peacefulness and and solitude and serenity to one's life, and that's important. But I think that I think that prayer is the most powerful force in the universe, and I've seen it work. And prayer works, which is weird, right? Like, I mean, okay, maybe prayer doesn't necessarily make Alabama, uh, you know, score a touchdown, but there's like reams of scientific data, like real hard mm. science uh, over the last decade or so that has shown that prayer is actually strangely, mysteriously effective, both for the person praying and for the people being prayed for. And okay, you know, you can come up with a hundred reasons why that is that doesn't have to do with God. But as you rightly say, you know, whatever, God's just a word. Prayer is just another way of saying meditation. We know how good meditation is, you know, for human beings and their health. And uh, and like a lot of things in this uh, soul boom religion, which is becoming more and more appealing to me, by the way, as this conversation continues. Okay. I mean, there's nothing like Here Islam. We, we have 28 days of like not eating food or water or having sex. Like that sucks. I mean, this, mm. this sounds way better. Brutal. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> but... Like a lot of the the sort of foundations that you have, um, this one is you know it's very much like what what you make of it. So like you define what prayer is. You have another foundation that you call about transcendence, right? Which is this just simply this idea of like you know surrendering to the 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 universe, the 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 acknowledgement that. There is this sort of great mystery that goes beyond ourselves and our narrow understanding of the world. You mentioned community, which is hugely important, right? That so much of, you know, the benefit of quote unquote religion is, is that sort of deep sense of belonging, that community that, that you have. And as long as, you know, you don't along with that create the outgroup, which seems to always show up. Uh, it's a it's a hugely important part. You talk about a moral compass, right? That you know, there's a sense of morality. Now that's a tricky one. That's a tricky. That one. is a tough one. Yeah, talk Some, about that a little. Someone was just talking to me about that earlier, and they were kind of calling me out on it. They're mm -hmm. like, "Wait a second. So religion provides morality. Is that really? Are you saying that there's like some transcendent force out there, like 
think about the Ten Commandments and like Moses. Or like atheists are immoral. Like that's the flip side of that. Like Right, you know? right, right. But that that these these things like thou shalt not kill comes from some guy on above as opposed to like it makes sense <laughs> and society works better when you don't kill. So that's a morality is a tricky one. No one likes to talk about morality. No one likes to look at it. We like to just kind of do we like to go along to get along and we kind of just go with the morality of contemporary society. But um, yeah, I think, I think there's more to be unearthed there about, you know, is that, does that work? Is that working? Mm -hmm. Is, is kind of just going along with the ethics of contemporary society. Is that, is that effective morality? Is that we look around in the world is, is that working? And then just to round out the uh, the, the top 10 foundations, uh, you have uh, increased compassion, which is obviously very, very important. Service to the poor, the heart of almost every great religion in the world is all about how you treat the, the least of these, as Jesus called them. Uh, strong sense of purpose, that's obviously hugely important. But then this is the one that I, I keep coming back to, which is, and it's the one that you come back to over and over again, it's how you actually end the book, which is love. Love, love, love. Love is all you need. Money can't buy you love. Love is a many splendored thing. Goo-goo-goo-goo. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, he, one of the things I dive into is a device of my own creation, which is a compassion machine. Um, what, it, what would it be like if we could, humanity could build a compassion machine mm. that was so thorough that I don't know how it works, if it's an MRI or a brain scan or wires on your skull or whatever it is. But by going in this machine, you are able to witness another person's life, someone so different from you, and you're able to with a totality kind of be in their shoes and see the world through their eyes. It could be a refugee kid at the Mexican border. It could be a, a camel herder in Yemen. It could be a, a war victim in the Ukraine. Hmm. Uh, the list goes on and on. A, a peasant in India. And that you live in there by seeing the world through their eyes, you're so able to increase your compassion for that person that it it threatens to just you have as much compassion for that person as you have for yourself and your own kind of set of circumstances that are and problems and difficulties and obstacles that are in front of you. Worst episode of Black Mirror ever. <laughs> it, would, it, would be, it would be a good one. It would be a good one. Um, and But in so doing, can compassion at that level, bring us through to a new kind of love, a different kind of love. You know, we, I think about love in these concentric circles. Like Reza, you've got seven or eight kids and your wife, and you love your kids more than anything and your wife. And you would do anything for them. If there was an intruder in the house, if there was a sickness or whatever, you would, you would sacrifice anything of yourself for your family. I'm going to put you on the spot here. You're Jessica's family and your family, you would probably do the same thing um, for, you know, brothers or sisters, your mom, whatever. It's maybe not quite to the same extent. And then like your close, close friends, you know, you, you might do that with your very dearest, best friends. And then I think it probably drops off pretty severely. Yeah. 
But what what is it, what would it be like to take a Jesus energy or a Buddha energy to the extreme where um, Abdul Baha and the Baha'i faith says, uh, let your heart burn with loving kindness for those who may cross your path. Let your heart burn with loving kindness. What would that be like to walk through the world with our hearts burning with loving kindness for anyone who crossed our paths, where we would be willing to sacrifice anything, our money, our comfort, our time, our energy, to care for others who were also suffering. And that's this understanding of suffering, compassion, and love can be the most mighty force in the universe. And this, and I sincerely believe this, you know, there might be some people rolling their eyes right now and like, oh, that's hippy dippy stuff. Um, and it's airy fairy, impractical, and yeah, blah, blah, blah. They've, you know, Jesus said God is love. Hippies have been talking about, you know, love is all you need for a long time. But but I really think that it can be uh the most powerful force on planet Earth. I know I said that about prayer, but now I'm saying it about love. Well, and it is you know, the thing that binds all the great religions together, right? I mean, if you were to strip all of these religions down to their sort of most core element, it's love, it's compassion. That's it. That's at the heart of all of these things. I love you, Reza. <laughs> I love you too. I love you too, Ray. And I've missed you. I've missed having these conversations. I missed you too. This is fun. I've, uh, you know. Right. So maybe maybe we'll come back to this again. Um, but you also look, you you mentioned it, you know, a little bit. You were talking about how eh, people get a little bit like, oh, come on, you know, they roll their eyes or whatever. Um, yeah, that that happens. I've been um guilty of of rolling my eyes sometimes when people call talk about love. Um I kept them unrolled throughout that entire segment. Very Just well wanted, done. Yeah, thank you. But also, like, you know, <laughs> You were talking about the chapter the notorious God, which uh, is uh, taken from uh, the title of a docu series that you were trying to pitch, um, mm -hmm. uh, where you sort of go around and kind of like you know look at the ways that people think about um, God, and you are a you know thrice Emmy nominated. Uh, actor and raconteur and celebrity and all around uh, lovable uh, guy and no one wanted anything to do with this show, did they? <laughs> they were like, no, get the fuck out of this room. We do not want to do a show with the word God in it, no matter who is uh, fronting it. Like, what does that say about the way that we even think about these concepts like religion and spirituality and God and, and the barrier that you rightly acknowledge is in the way at the second you start talking about this kind of stuff and in a serious way. Yeah, it's, um, it was really interesting. We put together a great pitch. We had an amazing sizzle reel, uh, a deck describing many different seasons, lots of different conversations and journeys one could have in exploring and examining God. And uh, we were deemed, the show itself, we were told by Netflix, was too controversial. Too controversial. It's like you weren't doing anything controversial. It's not like you were, uh, you know, like a murdering cannibal, which is like 40% of Netflix's entertainment now, apparently. Um, 
Yeah. I mean, the number one show on Netflix from last year was Jeffrey Dahmer. So you can have like serial killers eating people, eating human brains. That's fine. That's cool. You can have John Wick killing 873 people in the course of a movie uh, with a bullet to the brain. You can have dating shows with drunk housewives hooking up incessantly, but you want to have a conversation about what God might be or how science can help us find God or a reimagination of God in the modern world, searching for God, what we can learn about God, the biggest human question there is, and it's too controversial. So, you know, I'll ask you, what does that say about uh, contemporary society? I, I, well, you know, I mean, I got a lot of things, uh, ideas about what it says about the uh, entertainment industry. Um, but look, it, it goes back to what you were saying before. And we've, we've used this word God like 40 times in this conversation. And it's so funny, this word, which, you know, is probably the, the single most used word, like the word that I think people use with the absolute assumption that everyone knows what you're talking about. And simultaneously, it is the word with the most variable definition. Like you get six people and then you will have six completely different ideas of what God means. And yet they all just yeah. sort of use God as though everybody knows what they're talking about. You know, we've, we've talked about this like this. My, I've, I've said this before that the answer to the question, do you believe in God, is not yes or no. The answer is, what the hell do you mean by God? What does that mean, mm -hmm. even? Mm -hmm. And I think that that's what it is. You know, you, you say the word God, and everybody hears a completely different word, right? Mm -hmm. um, and it's, it creates this sort of barrier. So it makes it impossible to talk about the kind of spirituality that you're talking about, which is specific and cronk concrete and grounded. Uh, this isn't just like you can do yoga sometimes and you're spiritual, you know, go on a hike and you're spiritual. I mean, that's fine, but that's not what you're, that's not what you're talking about here. You're talking about something very real and concrete with boundaries and ideas and, and aspirations and goals and, and a foundational myth, which I want to get to uh, here in a minute. And, the second you start saying the word God in the midst of all that, people freak out. They tune, they turn off, you know, they, they tune out. Um, they immediately think that you're talking about what they think God is. And so then they get yeah. confused when you say things like, you know, when you talk about universal ideas, they're like, yeah, but God hates everybody. That's not me. And, you know, <laughs> so... Right. Right. I mean, I get it. It's a it's a really tricky word, but it's a word that you just dive headfirst into in this book. I go there. Um, and someone asked me the other day, like, but how do you know there's a God? And I said to them, how do you know you love your child? How do you, how do you know that? Like, if you had a neuroscientist just say that this this is a series of chemical impulses and electrochemical impulses going on in your brain in order to propagate the species, how would you respond? You'd be like, bullshit. <laughs> be like, but yeah, that may be true, 
But what I feel and what I experience is uh, beyond the pale. It is uh, exquisite and, 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 and superlative and transcendent beyond all measure. And I feel it in every fiber of my being and in my heart and in my gut. And I'm transported on a song of love for my wife, for my, for my sister or brother, for my child, whomever it is. Well, that's how one can know God. You know, Jesus said God is love. And it's that kind of love that to me is the greatest parallel to, to God. And, you know, I, I love digging into the topic because another parallel that I use is, has to do with, uh, one of the episodes we did with my, with my uncle Rhett Diesner, um, who is a PhD in beauty studies and aesthetics. And, uh, beauty itself might be a way to think about God as opposed to like any kind of demiurge, any kind of like deity of like a, some kind of humanoid figure, kind of like, I call him like a Marvel superhero or a sky daddy up on a cloud, like doling out favors to those who are blessed and, and, bl- and doling out curses to those that are cursed. But beauty itself, love itself are kind of our concepts that could be, uh, more closely ascribed to what God might be because, you know, and it's one of the things I love about the Baha'i faith is that there is a central prayer that we say each day, which is part of that prayer. As you say, I was created to know and worship God. And that's part of the prayer. That's one of the sentences in the, in the, in the very short prayer. And how is God described in the Baha'i faith as unknowable? Um, everywhere you turn, any page you open in the high faith, God is the unknowable essence, the unknowable essence. So we're created to know the unknowable. I, I love that. I love that, that dichotomy. I love that mystery that's at the center of that, uh, mystical experience. Any good religion, as people know, uh, requires, uh, a founding mythology, right? Uh, in the beginning, uh, you know, there was darkness and light, uh, uh, you know, the, the Buddha's Siddhartha Gautama, this sort of prince who has everything until he right. finally sees, you know, want, uh, the prophet Muhammad, you know, goes on this journey into a cave and hears the voice of God. And so you quite smartly decided, well, look, if I'm starting my own religion, I need a, a founding mythology. Uh, do, do us a favor. Would you would you mind reading us this sort uh, what you call the new legend of the Homo sapiens? It's on page two twenty four uh, of your book. Give us the founding mythology of this new religion of yours. The new legend of the Homo sapiens. When humans lived in caves and villages, community was everything. We sought safety, warmth, love, and family in the collective. We communed with nature, understood it, feared it, lived in harmony with it. Over the years, we aimed high and dreamed big invented world-changing ideas and concepts, worked together to eradicate diseases, came together to try and solve problems and fight evil. Sadly, along the way, we also lost sight of our inherently sacred and spiritual selves. We found ourselves at a crossroads. Humanity had a choice, keep doing what we've always done or hit restart. We took a bold and revolutionary path of hopefulness, relying on the idea that the human spirit is inherently good to build a new world based on heart-centered wisdom, 
We left behind our selfish, aggressive ways and came together as one family. And the result, humanity achieved peace and unity and found, dare we say it, joy. Joy. In the end, you know, that's kind of the the medication that you're, you're uh, prescribing to um, a generation of people, not just in the U.S., not just in the Western world, but an entire generation that is struggling, facing a world unlike any, I think, that they're the previous generations have uh, witnessed and, you know, looking for some sense of meaning in all this and, uh, and hell, why not? Why not just start your own uh, <laughs> religion? And by the way, anybody who wants to join this religion, um, there isn't really a, a formula, right? There's not like, you don't pray to Jesus. You don't say la ilaha illa la, uh, but you do buy the book. That's step one. In, That's step in becoming one. a soul boomer is that right is that how we would if, if you have either a copy of the book or a receipt of purchase uh for the audiobook you are immediately gained entrance into the world's fastest growing nascent <laughs> religion soul boom trademark the religion well listen uh as somebody who spent his life uh studying the world's religions uh this one Feels pretty good to me. It's, not, it's a nice one. I'm going to put it in my. I'm going to put it in my top three. We we can count on you. I'm in. I'm in. I love it. I already have the book. You, you you're you're in. You're in. Uh, thanks for uh, doing another episode of Metaphysical Milkshake, folks. It was so much fun uh, to reunite with Reza uh, to talk about our respective works. What are you writing these days, Reza? I am, uh, uh, you know, as, as you know, uh, my friend Rain, uh, maybe our audience doesn't know, I uh, have retired from public life. So I have yes. disabled all of my social media accounts. I am now six months clean from social wow. media. It's weird. Very, very weird. Uh, but it's wonderful. I, I definitely recommend it to all, to all you out there. And uh, I'm hanging out at home and working on some TV stuff, writing some fiction, just loving life out of the spotlight. Great, great. Well, it's so great seeing you. We've got to think about doing some more episodes. Uh, Metaphysical Milkshakers, thank you so much for tuning in to this very special Soul Boom episode. We hope to see you again soon. Reza, thanks for reading my book and for your thoughtful, wise, and wonderful comments as usual. Well, I loved it. Soul Boom is now available everywhere. Is that, can I say that? Every, yeah, yeah, everywhere. It's available everywhere. Like literally anywhere you go, you can find Soul Boom. Pick it up. Except Utah. Except Utah. <laughs> Pick it up and and join the new spiritual revolution. Thank you, Rain Wilson, for once again shining a light on these important issues. Love you, man. Be well. Love you too, man. You've worked hard for what you have. Your money, your assets, your 401k, and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. 
LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.